2 Peter 3.14-18, hear the word of the Lord. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by Him without spot or blemish, and at peace, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Let's pray. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. We had to jump through many hoops to become missionaries in Mexico. With our organization, we had to apply. And then we had to receive an invitation from the field. Somebody on the field wanted us to go. That had to be the situation. And then we needed approval by the committee that was going to send us. And then we had to raise our support. And then we had to go to Detroit uh, to live there in the inner city in cross-cultural training. And then we had to spend nine months in language school in Texas. We read books about Mexico. We read books about Latin America. And uh, this was all in order to get ready to live in Mexico. Because we had to know where we were going and how we were to live when we got there. We did along the way see other people who were there from other countries. And they didn't do this sort of thing. They didn't really get ready to live there. And some of them successfully adapted, but others never did. They didn't learn the language. They didn't learn the culture. They didn't change their habits. And oftentimes they were critical of what was around them. And I would scratch my head and say, why are you here? Why are you here if you, if you didn't want to get ready to live in this place? Last week, we saw that God is preparing a place. There is a cosmic, universal demolition project that is the first step in a cosmic, universal renovation project which will end in the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness permanently dwells. And we, we, we describe the, the, the attraction of that sort of a, a new heavens and a new earth. And I think in our hearts we are saying, I want to be there. That's the kind of place where I would like to live forever. But the question for us now, and the question that, that Peter is, is addressing to us in this final section is, are we getting ready for that? Are we getting ready for that? Because if, if we're saying that we want to live in this new earth in which righteousness dwells, but we're not getting ready now to live righteously, we might well ask ourselves, well, why do you want to be there? If you, if you don't want to be in a place like that forever, or if you don't want to be in a place like that now, if you don't get ready for that now, why would you want to be in a place like that forever? And so that's the final call here. He's, Peter is saying, get ready now. This, this is training time. So take all 
Uh, every opportunity you have to get ready now to live in a place like that then. That's how he begins, verse 14. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, what are the these? Well, the these are the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. Since, beloved, you are waiting for, and waiting for is not just a passive thing, waiting for is an expectation. Since you are expecting these things, this new heaven and new earth, for the third time in the letter, he says, make every effort. He says, it's translated here, be diligent, make every effort. And we saw this, we saw this as, these are sort of bookends. Because if you go to Second Peter chapter 1 and look at verse 5, this is all the same word in the original. Verse 5, it says, for this very reason, make every effort to supply your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. Make every effort to supply these things in your faith. And then in verse 10, he says it again, translated differently here, but therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. And how do you do that? By practicing these qualities. You confirm that you are one of the elect. You confirm that you have been called to faith in Jesus as this faith grows, as you supply these things. You confirm your calling and election by making every effort. So now he comes back. He circles back to that idea as the the bookend here. And he says, once again, for the last time, make every effort. Since, therefore, back to our text, 3.14. Since, therefore, beloved, you are waiting for expecting these things, make every effort effort. And make every effort to do what? And by the way, we saw that this is Christian ethics. Christian ethics is not try hard to get God to like you. Make every effort to do all you can so that God will be favorable to you. That's not how Christian ethics are. If you go back to chapter 1, you will see the first four verses are all about what God has given to us freely. And that's how Christian ethics work. All that God has given us in Christ, all that He has given us freely by His grace, by His favor, and in response to that, received by faith, received as a gift, then that's where the effort comes in. So it's not a question of whether there's effort or not, it's where it comes in. It is not effort to gain God's favor, it is effort having received God's favor. And here he says once again, third time, make every effort. Make every effort to what? Well, he says, make every effort... To be found by Him, and the by Him would be Jesus, without spot or blemish and at peace. And this without spot or blemish is is language from the Old Testament. There were a couple of, of things or persons that should be without spot or without blemish. One of the things or persons was the sacrifice that was to be offered to God. It was to be without spot, without blemish. The other was to be the sacrificer. That is, the priest. He was to be without spot, without blemish. So, the the goal, the ideal, was a perfect priest offering a perfect sacrifice. Something that the Old Testament never accomplished. which Which is pointing to Jesus, the perfect priest, offering the perfect sacrifice. But that's the, that's the language that's going on here. And it's interesting what Peter is doing. Do you remember the false teachers? Well, the false teachers in chapter 2, if you look at verse 20, Chapter 2, verse 13, it says, They suffered wrong 
as the wages for their wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes. These are the same two words, but without the negation. So the false teachers are spots and blemishes. And then the exhortation to us is don't be like them. So be unspotted and unblemished. So he says, these are spots and blemishes. You be the opposite of them. You be unspotted and unblemished. And in addition, if you go back to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, we find another beautiful connection, one that we've already mentioned. But 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb, without blemish or spot. The same language, the same words. So Peter, in these two letters, is saying, Jesus is that lamb, without blemish or without spot. And because Jesus, the spotless, blemishless lamb, has given himself for you, then make every effort to be like Jesus. Make every effort to be like Jesus, without spot, without blemish. Now, the language here is is fascinating because it says, to be found by him. To be found by him. Do you remember last week how there is that 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 translation or difficulty in chapter three, verse ten? Uh, it says that the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be found. And that seems like such a strange thing to say that translators try to do many different things with that. That they will the works of the earth will be found, and here it's translated exposed. Well, this is the same word here, and it looks like now we can understand better what he's doing in chapter 3, verse 10, because he says, you should try to be found by Jesus because the works of the world are going to be found when the whole thing is burned up. When the, when the demo project begins, then the works of the world will be found. But guess what? You can be found as well. And so the first finding is not a good thing. It's an exposing But here it's a positive thing. Make every effort to be found by Him. Found by Him how? Like Him. Spotless and blemish. Blemishless. Now, He tacked on, and it looks like it's sort of tacked on here, at peace. At peace. He says, uh, at the end of verse 14, Be found by Him without spot or blemish and at peace. Now, this is probably not the, the subjective feeling of peace here but rather the objective state of peace. That is to say, be found at peace with God. Be found at peace with God. Well, how can we at peace with God? Paul tells us, having been justified by faith, Romans 5.1, let us have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, at peace with God through Jesus, living like Jesus, without spot, without blemish. That's the, that's the goal. That's the make every effort. That's the, that's the how to get ready. That's the preparation for a, a world of righteousness by making every effort to grow in righteousness now. Now, that's the first, the first exhortation here. How to get ready, you. But then... He extends this in verses 15 and 16 to say how to help other people get ready. So this is not just about us individually, how to get ready, but how to help other people get ready. And here in verse 15, he says, and count, count 
This is the second time he says, and count or regard. Uh, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation. As salvation. Now here he extends an idea that we've already seen. In chapter 3, verse 9, he said this, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise as some count slowness, same word, but is patient towards you, you Christians, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So, in 3.9, he says to Christians, Christians, the Lord's delay is not slowness, as some count slowness. It's an opportunity for you Christians, you Christians to repent. And we saw there that the importance of Christians turning to the Lord, turning from our sins to Him and His grace. But now he extends that idea to everyone. And he says, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Salvation. So it's not just an opportunity for Christians to repent. It's an opportunity for others to come in. The door is still open. And it's open wide until it's closed. And he's saying it's not closed yet. And that's a good thing. Because that means that there's still an opportunity to come in. And so... Two applications there. One, if you haven't come in yet, then then come on in. Come on in because the opportunity is still here to come in. How? Through faith in Christ, the spotless Lamb who was offered for us. And if you've already come in, the idea is not to shut the door behind you, but to bring as many people as you can through that door. It's the opportunity that we Christians have to get the message out to others so that they too may come in and experience this salvation. Now here, there is a fascinating digression. Digression here about Paul's letters. And this is really a gem. And there are, there are fascinating statements that Peter makes about Paul's letters. And so here we see how early these letters of Paul were being received and regarded and and shared around. And and Peter says, Count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. So let's look at this section. It looks like what was happening here was this. The false teachers, they were taking Paul, and they were taking his letters, and they were taking the difficult sections particularly, and they were twisting them for their own benefit, to live immorally and to deny judgment, to twist the truth and to live uh, in error as well. And so Peter's saying, no, 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 no. False teachers, Paul is not yours. Paul is ours. Paul is one of us, and we agree with Paul. And Paul actually writes in all his letters the same things I'm writing to you. What's that? Well, a couple possible ideas. One is this that we just saw. Very specifically, Paul writes in Romans 2 that that God is being patient toward us, not wanting people to perish, but giving us an opportunity for salvation. So it may be that, or it may be in general, because he doesn't write about that in all his letters, it may be in general the idea that in the light of the coming judgment that we should get ready. And in all of Paul's letters, you find that emphasis. So, so what do we find here? A number of things about, about Paul. One, Peter regarded Paul as a beloved colleague. He says, my, my, our beloved brother Paul. In the history of the church and interpretation, there have been those, because of one conflict that's recorded in Galatians, one conflict 
they have tried to pit Paul against Peter. And we don't find that in the rest of Scripture, and we certainly don't find it here. Beloved colleague. Second, Paul was writing to some of the same, or Peter was writing to some of the same churches that Paul had written to. And the scholars are trying to figure out which ones. They, they haven't, there's no consensus there, but there was some overlap in their ministries. Third, Peter acknowledged Paul's writing as wisdom given by God. In other words, Peter recognized that Paul was inspired by God in his writings. And Paul himself recognized that, and Peter recognized it about Paul. Fourth, Paul wrote about the same things Peter addressed here. And I mentioned the two possibilities, either specifically the patience of the Lord, or in general, the call to righteousness in the light of the Lord's coming. Fifth, Paul wrote some things that are hard to understand. Anybody encounter that? Yes, there's some things in Paul that are hard to understand. Peter too. The ignorant, the sixth thing, the ignorant and the unstable twist these hard things, these hard things, and by twisting, the seventh thing is by twisting the truth of Paul's God-given teaching, they assure their own destruction. They assure their own destruction. And the final thing is this, and this is fascinating. Peter considered Paul's letters Scripture. Scripture. This is the earliest, earliest recognition in the New Testament of parts of the New Testament as Scripture. So this is not a later idea that the New Testament is Scripture on par with the Old Testament. This is an idea early on that developed, we could say, immediately along with the giving and receiving of these letters. Because he says here that they do the same thing with Paul as they do the other scriptures, that is, they twist them. Good. So that's the digression, but it's it's a packed digression that teaches us much about not only the early church, but also about uh, about inspiration and, and what the Bible and the New Testament is. Now, the last two verses, 17 and 18, we have a summary statement, summary statement, and, and if, if, you, if you just want to grab onto this, you can get an idea of what this is all about. And the summary statement, and you find this in most letters, it's application. It's not new ideas, it's application. And the application says, don't do this, but do this. Don't do this. Verse 17, what not to do? Well, what not to do? You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, that is, knowing about these, these false teachers beforehand, take care that you're not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. And lose your own stability. Now, he had already called the false teachers unstable, and these unstable ones twist Paul's writings and the rest of the Scriptures. And he says, don't be unstable like them. If you follow the unstable, guess what you'll become? Unstable. And so don't, don't be carried away and become unstable. Now, there's a fascinating connection here with the Gospel of Luke. In the Gospel of Luke, verse 22, 31, Jesus says to Peter, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. But this is the same word group here. We could translate this, stabilize your brothers. Stabilize your brothers. Now, let me ask you, did Peter have a problem with instability? Right after this, Jesus said, Peter said, I'll die with you. And Jesus said, really? 
He says, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. Peter, Peter had a problem with stability. But Jesus says, once you return, once you've fallen, once you return, stabilize your brothers. And what did Peter do the rest of his life? He dedicated himself to stabilizing his brothers. And here we have him at the end of this second letter, stabilizing. He's pleading with us, saying, don't be drawn astray. Don't fall from your, your stable place. He's stabilizing us, warning us. That's what, what not to do. And then what to do? Verse 18. Grow. Grow. That's it. That's what to do. Grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's how this letter begins. That's how this letter ends. I read from the first, the first chapter about make every effort to add to your faith virtue and to your virtue knowledge, to your knowledge, etc., etc. That's what it is. It's, it's grow. If you're a believer, don't get carried away. Don't get led astray, but grow. Constantly grow. And the first focus of growth is grace. Grace, which is favor towards sinners. And this, if you think about this, this is an expression we Christians use, grow in grace. But what, is, what can that possibly mean? If, if grace is God's favor to us, how can we grow in His favor to us? I mean, His favor toward us is not going to get any bigger, is it? We can't make it bigger. So how can we grow in His favor to us? Grow in His gift to us. That seems like a strange expression if we begin to think about what, that, what grace is. But Peter helps us out, I think, in 1 Peter... 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, where he describes God's grace as varied or variegated or diverse or multifaceted. And so there, that might give us a clue of what it might mean to grow in grace. If His grace is, is multifaceted, if it is diverse, then it's likely that we haven't seen it all yet. We haven't, we haven't experienced all the implications of it yet. And so, it's not that the grace is going to get bigger, but it's going to get bigger in our eyes as we discover more and more of it. As we, we see how far-reaching it is, and we see areas of our lives that perhaps we, we haven't experienced that grace yet, we haven't let that grace affect us yet, and we see that, wow, you mean His grace can do that too? You mean, you mean that's covered in grace? His grace is that powerful? I, I never thought of that. I thought I was lost in that situation. I thought that's just how things were. But now I see His grace can enter in as well. We, we don't have much experience with new cars. In fact, the first new car I bought was uh, in 2016. Our church, as a going away present from Mexico, gave us money and they said they saw all our old cars in Mexico and all the, broke, the times they broke down and they said, we want you to buy a new car. And we obeyed, and we did, so we have a new car. And Natalia, actually, she got a new car, too, after hers broke down, and hers was a gift as well. And so, um, we're not, you may know or may not know, but new cars come with this thing called a warranty. Yeah, that was, that was a pleasant thing for us to discover. New car warranty. And, and it, was, it was fascinating to find out that, that it covers things. And it covers lots of things. So one of the shocks went bad, I just took it in, and they gave me a new shock. I didn't have to pay for it. First time in my life. I didn't have to pay for it. It was, it was covered in the policy. That, that was news to me. 
And then Natalia, after she was here for a while, she went back to Texas, and guess what? Her car had been sitting there a while. Guess what? Dead battery. And so, thinking like I always used to, I was like, well, okay, well, maybe you could get an Uber, take the battery out. Can you get the battery out, take it, and maybe, you know, get it somewhere? Then, then, then I think it was my dad's brilliant idea. He said, well, maybe that's covered in the warranty. And so she looked up the warranty. She called Hyundai, and they, they sent out AAA, charged it up, said your battery's fine, and it was all covered. That, that's how it is with God's grace. There, there's some things hidden in this policy here that we, that we haven't figured out yet. And so we can grow in His grace as we discover, oh, that's included too. That sin's included too. That, that struggle's included too. That fear's included too. Uh, those things in my life that I, 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 I just haven't been able to get a hold of, that's included? That's in the policy? Yes. Grow in grace. Grow in your understanding. Grow in your experience of God's favor towards you. And the second focus is knowledge. And this is one of Peter's strongest emphases, and we've seen this throughout. Uh, knowledge. He started from the beginning talking about knowledge. Here he's, talk, he's ending talking about knowledge. Grow in knowledge. Now, the particular knowledge in view is of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In other words, we need to know Jesus more and more, and we need to know Him as the Lord. And the Lord's the one who commands. The Lord is the one who rules. We need to know Him as Lord, and we need to know that He's the Savior. The Savior is the one who redeems, who rescues, who delivers. And we need to know Jesus as Lord. We need to know Jesus as Savior. And because we'll never achieve complete knowledge of Him, we always need to do what? Grow. So these are both lifelong tasks, growing in grace, growing in knowledge. And and I should say here, how do we do that? Well, we're doing it right now. We're looking at Scripture. And, and that's, that's one of the ways we grow, one of the chief ways we grow. And also, this is where church comes into play as well. Um, scripture is perfect. As you know, church is not. But these are elements that we need to be able to grow. And that, that's why we get together. That's why we read Scripture in our homes, in our families. That's why we come together and we look at Scripture. Because of what it is, and we've already seen what it is throughout Peter, that it's God's Word given to us through men who wrote it down. And, and I think it's safe to say this. There may be some, some very exceptional circumstance, like, like the only Christian in a city and the, the Bible doesn't exist in that person's language yet. There may be some circumstance like that in the world. But apart from some extremely rare circumstance like that, I think it's safe to say this, that there is no such thing as a growing Christian who is not in Scripture and not in church. Not in Scripture and not in church. Why? We need, we need, we need God's Word to teach us so that we have knowledge, and we need each other to grow in grace because this is where we live grace out. You can't live grace out by yourself. You live grace out with other people. And this is where these come into play. Now, the closing line may sound familiar. And we may overlook the the uniqueness of this. Here he says, To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. And you say, well, I've heard things like that. And you have. This is what's called a doxology. This is an expression of praise to God. 
There's an expression in here that is unique. The day of eternity. That's unique. That's, that's nowhere else. And this is interesting. He's already called it the day of the Lord. He's called it the day of God. And now he says, this is the day of eternity. What, what's the day on which eternity starts? In which time winds down? And there's no time left. It's, it's just eternity. It's that day. It's the day of the Lord. It's when Christ comes. It's the day of God. The day of eternity. That's unique. But there's something else almost unique about this expression. It says, To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. And the, the almost unique thing, there's only one other clear example in the New Testament of it, is this. That this is talking about Jesus. Almost all of the doxologies in the New Testament are talking about God. Maybe God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but they're talking about God. And here, there's a doxology addressed or describing Jesus. And there's only one other of these that's clear in the New Testament. And so what do we find here? Just as Peter started his letter with one of the most startling declarations in chapter 1, is it verse 1 or 2? about Jesus being God. Verse 1, the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. He started his letter with one of the clearest and most startling declarations that Jesus is God. So he ends his letter taking the doxology, which is always addressed to God, and addressing it to whom? Addressing it to Jesus. And so we find another clear example of the regard that Peter, the New Testament, and and Christianity, Christians, have for Jesus, that He is God. And to Him belong glory both now and to the day of eternity. So how do we conclude this, this glorious letter? This Jesus, this Jesus, who is God, who is Lord, who is Savior, to whom all glory is due. This is the one we must know, and this is the one in whose knowledge we must constantly grow. Let's pray. Our God, we thank You for this letter. It it took me longer than I thought it would to get through it because I found so many gems in it. And now I want to go start over because all the ones we left unturned. But we thank You for presenting us Jesus once again, the spotless Lamb who was given for us, the the Lord of all, the Savior of, of the saints, who is God over all, and who to whom belong all glory and all honor. I pray for those of us who are listening to Your Word this morning that we would not be carried away by false teaching, as attractive as that false teaching might be, that we would rather grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so that we would get ready, that we would get ready for that new heavens and that new earth. And so when that day of eternity dawns, that we would be found by Jesus to be like Him, spotless and blameless. O God, until that day or until our last breath, I pray that we would be engaged in getting ready and bringing others with us, so that they too might be ready for that day of eternity. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.